This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Scalina. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. And Matt, I'm so excited because today we have Michael Ferreira. He is the Vice President of Finance and Corporate Affairs at Anthem Properties. That's right. And this is a new position for Michael. We should say past guest fan favorite, first of all. I think this is his fourth appearance on the show. But he was one of the principals at Urban Analytics, which was a consulting firm that was used widely in the development community in terms of getting the lay of the land when it came to both the residential market and the rental market. Sure. And then it was bought by Zonda Urban. Him and his, I guess now former partner, John Benest, came on in that capacity as well. And now we have Great Michael. episodes. Yeah, fantastic episodes. And now we have Michael back with Anthem. So it's kind of interesting, right? He still carries all the knowledge from that consulting role combined with on the ground lay of the land of the development world. It's yeah. uh, this is an what exciting a, one. What a great, great hire for Anthem properties. No kidding. No kidding. Uh, to get Michael on their team. So that's uh yeah, it's, it's, it's incredible having him back on the show. We talk about where he's excited about in BC in the province and also in the lower mainland. We talk about the best investments opportunities for people, where he would buy, what's going on with Anthem, the direction of the market. We talk about everything, really. It's a really a check-in and tons of takeaways. Yes. This is, this is a great conversation, so stay tuned for that. But before we get to that, Adam, there's a couple things we need to address. Uh, I think the February stats are going to show an uptick in activity. Is that, so this is a prediction. That's, that's my prediction. I it feel like I just... Busy. Saw, so <laughs> right now it feels busy. It's February 15th. Yeah. And there was an article this morning talking about how the market has never been slower, citing the January stats. And while it's hard to to quantify it at this point, it feels January feels a long time ago. There are a lot of uh, a lot of multiple offers that we both have been in on our listings and with buyers. That's right. And then there's some stuff that's kind of hanging around, but it's really kind of spotty. Like it's, it's certain sub markets or certain price bands are really busy. Yeah. And then other stuff just is, is kind of hanging around. I feel like there's just as we predicted when there's, there's a little bit more certainty around financing options and around interest rates. Now there's been a surge in buyer demand for sure. Inventory still, still very lackluster though. Right. That, and, and so it feels, you know, like, there's there's more interest in the market. There's more activity. There's more energy. There's just nothing to buy, uh, which is which seems to be problematic if if we continue uh, like this uh, throughout the whole year. Yeah, and the only thing that that has kind of changed since everybody feeling like there was a light at the end of the tunnel is the employment numbers came out and they were actually very strong, which some analysts are saying maybe we won't see a rate cut until. Q1 of 2024 now. That's right. Yeah, we're all we're all watching uh it, 
you never thought you'd say this, but watching employment numbers with bated breath. I can't, I can't <laughs> believe it. But, but, you know, one thing that strikes me is in these markets where, you know, some people are talking about the sky's falling. Some people are talking about it's busy. Sure. Uh, a lot of people are just trying to buy homes or buy yeah. properties. But, you know, people are not overlooking the things that they often do in Vancouver, right? right? Like a year ago, last February, a place could have been on fire and you'd still have 10 offers, right? And yeah. eight of them would have been subject free. Now people, you know, you see deals fall apart for under five grand, like where you just can't get the two sides together. It's, it's incredible how different it feels when you're negotiating in this market. Yeah, well, that's, and that's just it. And I, I think what buyers have to do in a market like this is if you're buying something that's gonna be your home and it's it's a long-term outlook, I mean, at the end of the day, if you're buying a, a buy and hold property or you're buying a family home, it's you gotta you gotta maybe take that investor hat and think long term. It reminds me actually, we had an, a colleague who we used to work with, and years back, this is about maybe ten years ago, maybe like early like 2012 ish. He was out shopping with 20, a buyer. 2012. That was a good time to buy. Actually, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, he was out with he was out with a, a client of his who was also like one of his best friends. Yeah, and they were looking on the. I don't know if I've told you this, but he was looking on the west side. And uh, anyways, he ends up talking this best friend out of buying a house in Kitsilano, which at the time was one point seven million, and. It was a beautiful, like it, this house today would be like worth like 4.5, 4.2. But based on the comps, what, one, Com six, seven? It was, you know, <laughs> it, it was, he thought they were saying it was probably about $30,000 over where it should have been. Yeah. So they walked on the deal and the guy, it was, he was going to live in it. He was going to yeah. move in. He was going to, it was going to be like his home moving forward. And the worst, and the worst part about this story is I think it was almost like, it was almost our colleague who will remain nameless, who was, yeah. who was got caught up on the 30,000 bucks, right? Well, like, that's, yeah. And I mean, it's hard sometimes as an agent because you're like, yeah, here's where, here's where the market it's is. It's not that strong it's, of a market. It's not, it's, it is overpriced. It's up to you if you want to buy it or not, but you feel like you want to get someone the best deal. But at yeah. the same time, when, you know, if you're thinking 10 years down the road, do you think this guy in his $4.5 million kit's house cares if he pays $30,000 10 years down the road. Yeah. And I mean, hindsight's always twenty twenty. but the reality is, is you got to understand what your goals are. If you're going to be living in the property for a long time and it's the right one, it's a box ticker. Yeah. Maybe, maybe just buy it. Well, Hey, and, and especially if it's, if it's those minor things along the way, you know, yeah. paper over some minor things. I but mean, there's a lot of stuff tripping up deals right now yeah, and yeah. it's coming down to really small margins often in what people are walking on you know, and, and, and what deals are collapsing over. And then also like, you know, it's just, there's, it seemed where it used to be like subject free or, or things happening very quickly. It feels like there can be a lot of obstacles before accepted offer in the finish line right now. A hundred percent. It's a pretty good time. Like I was just thinking about was writing something for something else entirely, but say, call it the last decade. Right. This is, this is a better time, especially if they're, if you're finding the right property, that's a challenge. But if you're finding the right property right now, this is a better time to be a buyer than arguably it has been in the last 10 years. I think this is better than 2018, 2019. I, f I feel like I'm on repeat saying this, but it's that it's that idea of like marry the property, date the interest rate. If you can get a rate that's even high for a year or two uh, and refinance this thing, you're getting a great house at a great price today. As long, yeah, as long as you can swing it. But maybe we should cut to our talk. Oh, before we do, we got to say, because this is, basically our lives now. T-shirts. No, <laughs> just no. Joking, but we do, we do have our T-shirts coming. 
Uh, they, the, the new order is not quite in yet. Maroon. There's a few of you who have already requested the maroon shirts. We got a, we got a working tally. Follow us on Instagram. That's where there's going to be opportunities. What, that's, what, that's where I was going. Instagram is, is where you get the shirts. And it's also where we are literally producing daily content now. So it's with uh, uh, great feedback. Yeah. So there's who, been a lot of positive knew? feedback. Who knew you'd be good at Instagram, Matt? Not me. That's for sure. What else do we got? Do we got anything or should we cut to this conversation? No, let's cut to our conversation with Michael Ferreira. This, this is, is a great a, one. This is get a good your, one for sure. Uh, get your notepad and uh, get out your checkbook because you're going to want to make some investments after this one. Enjoy. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one-beds to three-beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at marcon.ca slash sonehouse. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at marcon.ca or follow them at Instagram at marconhomes. Marcon, building for life. Okay, so we're here with Michael Ferreira. He is the Senior Vice President, Finance and Corporate Affairs at Anthem Properties. Uh, and we knew you before from Zonda Urban. And prior to that, it was Urban Analytics. Correct. Which um, was your own company. So you are a past guest fan favorite, but you're here in, a, in an capacity. entirely different capacity. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I'm still obviously keeping a close eye on the market. You know, you, you can take the boy out of the market, but you can't take the market out of the boy. Good. So <laughs> well, that's about seven of our, our 10 questions. <laughs> so, so that's good news. <laughs> but can you, can you start by uh, telling our, our listeners a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah. So um, ran Urban Analytics, you know, since 1999. I think I've told this story before, but just to refresh uh, everyone's memories, Ran it through the early 2000s, took a bit of a break during 2005 to 2008, went and worked on the developer side for a few years, came back in, in 2009, relaunched the company in 2010 uh, with a, a new partner on board, John Benest, who, who's appeared with me in the past in my previous capacity with, with Urban Analytics and, and Zonda Urban. And I hope you guys have him back again. Oh, 100%. I think he'd be an awesome we actually, guest. when we ran into him on the street, I think we basically... We don't we have them. it in the book, but we pitched them. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and and we together uh, grew the company, you know, developed a, an online data platform that had all of the information on all new multifamily developments, whether it was for sale condos and townhomes and, and purpose-built rental developments uh, throughout Metro Vancouver. We expanded into Calgary and Edmonton. And then uh, most recently, after the the Zonda purchase, we expanded into Toronto and Ottawa, 
And last year, uh, before I left, uh, launched in uh, in Victoria as well, which was uh, a huge success. So, is Ontario a tough nut to crack? Um, it, it tougher from the perspective that there are already established competitors there. So, whenever you go into a market where there's uh, an existing competitor who's got relationships with the local stakeholders in the market, it's always uh, going to be a tougher slog and a longer slog. And and we expected that going in and, and it's transpired that way before I left it was. And and I think they're, they're chipping away and, and, you know, continuing to get, uh, to get more exposure there and, and more awareness. So I, I think it's a matter of time before they start to get a foothold in the Toronto market. You know, the, hired some some great people some in, some you know key parts of the puzzle there who were well known in the market so i think that gave us uh some instant credibility and i think now it's just a matter of you know continuing to uh to just uh, hammer away and and let people know that that the product is is the best in the market now the data is is as good a quality as they'll get anywhere so um yeah i think i think it's a matter of time before it really starts to take off there and you moved over to Anthem, at least in in my mind, it was what late last year. Yeah, I started December fifth. Okay, at, so you've uh, been there Anthem, a, cu- so. a couple months. What? What? Why the change? You know, I, I think it was. Uh, you know, we sold the company in twenty twenty one. Was when the closing happened, and you know, I, it was good timing for me in the sense that you know, in my mid fifties now, looking ahead you know, you look 10 years down the road and as you get older, you realize how quick time flies by. So I knew that those kind of 10 years, 10 really good years, not that I'm going to retire when I'm 65, but, you know, by that time you have to start really thinking about succession. So, you know, we were approached at the time to sell the the business and, um, you know, we're able to negotiate a, a price that was, that felt good for us. And so we went ahead with the sale, thought there were some great opportunities to, to expand and grow the company. And then it was one of those things where I'd been doing what we were doing for a long time. And it just started to feel like it was time for me to change and, and move on and, and leave the company in, you know, good hands. And, and it's in great hands with, with John running it here locally and with the team that we had put together there as well. So, um, you know, you know, I think it was, it was time to kind of hand the reins over and, and look for new opportunities. I, I, you know, been doing what I've been doing for a long time. And, and I'm a guy who I, I always want to continue to learn and grow. And, and it wasn't that I had gone out looking for an opportunity, but this opportunity kind of was presented to me. And, and I thought, you know, here's an opportunity to grow and learn more about the financial side of the business that I hadn't had a ton of exposure to, you know, on the surface or you know, on, on the, you know, very high level, but, but not in the weeds, so to speak. So it was a, a great opportunity to join a company that I'd admired. They were a client of ours, uh, had admired the leadership, obviously, with Eric Carlson, who who owns the company, and and have some good friends who uh, who work at the company as well in in some influential roles. So you know, kind of ticked all the boxes when I when I looked through it. It was you know opportunity to grow, opportunity to continue learning, opportunity to work for a really great company that's continuing to grow and and still wants to grow further. And work with some really good people. And, you know, even beyond the people I knew before I started there, as I've gotten to to know more of the people in the company, I've been so impressed with just the quality of the people and and just how smart they are. And I think that's always a sign of a good company is if 
if you can attract really smart, good people, it's uh, there's probably a reason for it. And and so I'm humbled that they looked at me as as one of those people who could fit in there. So, and it was Kevin Falcon. You stepped into his old position. Correct. Right? Yeah. So uh, political aspirations, Michael? Or? No, no, <laughs> <laughs> no. I'll leave that to uh, to Kevin and people who are probably you know a- able to, to to say the right things better than than I can. <laughs> I have a tendency to say what I mean, and and in politics that gets you into trouble pretty quickly. Yeah. No so. kidding. No kidding. <laughs> uh, I'm just curious in terms of anthem and it. And I know it's it's been a couple months, so it might be a little premature. But, you know, you ran your own company. It produced really useful data for and, and you were in a consulting role. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So it was a very specific position. You join Anthem, which is seems to be growing by leaps and bounds. It's a massive force of nature yeah. almost. Yeah. Uh, how is the culture different? Have you noticed like, wow, OK, you're on the other side. There's, yeah. a, there's a lot of money at stake. I'm just curious to hear like first impressions. Yeah, you know, the pace is obviously different, right? You're you're going from a company where we had, you know, 15 people in our office, 15 to 20 people in our office here in Vancouver at Zonda Urban, I think 30 or so people across Canada in in the company. And then you go to a company that's got 500 people right. and 200 people in the office alone in in Vancouver. Um, you know, three floors in one of the Bentall Towers. And, um, you know, also have an office in in Calgary and and Edmonton, another one down in Sacramento. So the pace is is obviously quicker. There are decisions being made at a at a quicker pace. And and it's similar to the experience that I that I sort of noticed when I'd worked on the development side back in the late 2000s, where you know, the projects that you work on are are over and done with much more quickly. Whereas like, you know, at, at Zonda Urban or Urban Analytics, you have an advisory report that you're working on. It it works, you know, you work on it for two or three weeks. Whereas as here, you have something that you have to work on and you turn it around in a day and it's, and then a decision is made on which, which direction to go. Obviously the projects take years and years to, to come to, to fruition and, and to get executed on. But, um, yeah, it's, it's exciting. There's a different energy when you're in an office with a bunch of people, you know, everybody's pretty much back in the office, um, there. So, so that helps also with that energy and you, you know, there, there are benefits to remote work, but I really think, you know, being back in an environment with a lot of people where there's, uh, that interaction and those impromptu conversations that you have, you know, whether it's in the kitchen or, or just walking down the hall or just walking out of a meeting with somebody that you have that opportunity to pick somebody's brain, to discuss something impromptu that you just don't get, that you don't have the ability to, to get when you're working remotely. I feel like everybody's happy to be back in the office. Well, no, I shouldn't say that. You shouldn't say <laughs> everybody here. No, everybody <laughs> here is. Yeah. And it's funny, we just had this conversation, we, we've had this conversation now a couple of times just in the last couple months right. so, since the new year with people that are in leadership roles and how they feel about being at the office, but also about having staff at the office. And it seems like the, yeah, like the collaborative part is, is missing with work from home. And that seems very clear. Right. And it's kind of what you're, yeah. you're mentioning, right. Picking someone's brain on, on a walk to the water cooler or whatever. Right. Yeah. Makes, makes a lot of sense. Well, maybe changing gears a little bit here, Michael, Moving to the market, because obviously you're somebody that pays attention uh, in, in detail. 
how's the market just just a general launch off question? You know, I, I I think it's a very similar to what we experienced in, you know, 2018, 2019, where you had, but for different reasons, obviously, you had the the government-induced housing downturn then with some of the taxation that they brought in that that the market took some time to adjust to. Whereas now it's more, you know, talk about recession, talk, you know, interest rates, obviously, taking a big jump up in this last year, which, you know, basically takes a lot of people out of the market. But at the same time, you'd get this sense that there are still people in the market, you know, and, and we haven't, even though there's been talk of a recession, you don't see or don't feel that there's any panic in the market. So, and, and you see it on the MLS stats, the number of listings has not grown of anything they've come off as people are like, well, if I can't get today what I could have gotten a year ago and I don't really need to sell, then why would I list my house and sell it for less than I could have gotten before? Other than, you know, you might be able to get the other home that you're looking at moving into at a, at a lower price as well. But there's no, you know, even though you hear of, of job layoffs and in some sectors, you're not really seeing it on the street where people are losing their jobs and, and um, you know, having to liquidate to avoid going into bankruptcy. You don't see any of that happening. So um, I, I think it's really people are in a bit of a holding pattern within the market. You see it with investors. You know, we just launched a, a tower out in the Brentwood area and, you know, a, a ton of interest. And, you know, I, I visited the sales center a couple of times. It's been a beehive of activity. There's lots of people looking, you know, obviously they're being much more selective in this kind of a market because they can be. You don't have that sort of panic and urgency to make some of those decisions that that you might have had to make a year, year and a half ago where the market was really just rocking. And just thinking about 2018, 2019, because we were talking about this actually this morning, you know, just thinking back, and this is my hazy recollection of 2018, 2019, but it's kind of we plotted along, interest rates were were going up, you know, at whatever, there's three and a half percent or whatever yeah. it was, but it was higher than it was in say 2017, they were moving higher. And then COVID hit when the market was picking up and kind of supercharged the market and changed it in a variety of ways, right? The suburban markets became really hot and secondary markets became hot. How do you see this play out now? Is it, because I do think you're right. Like it feels like there's still demand in the market. Yeah. It feels like there's a lot of people on the sidelines that are kind of tentatively reaching out at this point. Yeah. How does this play out differently? Because COVID was such a dramatic kind of punch in the face and into yeah. the market. Well, I think, and you know, what COVID did was really just accelerated decisions that, that people like big buying decisions that people were thinking of making, but you know, given that they couldn't travel, they couldn't spend their money on a whole bunch of other things. And we saw it not just in the housing market, obviously, but, but across various sectors of the, uh, of the economy. So today, I think one of the biggest things that is impacting the market is the the uncertainty over, you know, you still hear some talk are, you know, is the Bank of Canada done raising rates? I, I think they are for now. I think the the rate increase we saw last week is probably the last one we'll see unless, you know, some crazy event happens that starts to drive inflation back up again and they, and they have to rein things further back. But I, I think now they'll, they'll probably pause, uh, see how things play out over the next several months. And then, you know, if we continue to see sort of a flattening in, in inflation and, and we continue to see costs sort of flatten a little bit that, 
you know, maybe by the end of this year, early next year, we'll start to see them, you know, reduce those rates again. And, uh, and it, you know, also depends, you know, they'll keep a close eye on, on growth in the economy. You know, I saw a report yesterday that, uh, the fourth quarter overall was still stronger than they would have liked, but November was like 0.1% growth in the economy, which, which is, you know, where the bank of Canada really wanted it to go mm-hmm. in order to, to calm inflation pressures. So, so I think as we move along and especially as we get into, you know, mid part of the year, and you start to compare the year-over-year inflation rate, you'll start to see that number come down and uh, and come down more quickly, which will, you know, make the Bank of Canada feel a little better about, you know, especially if the economy continues to stay slow, they'll see it needs a little bit of incentive to to get it going again. That's where, you know, we might see some some dropping of those rates. And, and I think even just the signal from the Bank of Canada saying that they're probably going to pause for now provide some certainty in the marketplace that, right. uh, okay, they're, they're done for now. This is probably where we're going to see rates hang out for the next little while. You know, you might have some people wait until, you know, the second half of this year when they get more certainty that they're going to probably start to lower rates again towards the end of this year, early next year before they jump back in. I, I don't think we're going to see the big, you know, kind of immediate jolt into the market that we saw uh, due to COVID, I think right. it'll be more of a slow burn and a slow increase as uh, as you see, you know, growth start to recover again and and the uh, the interest rates start to to drop. So so it's going to be you know I think twenty twenty three is going to be an interesting year. Just I don't think there's going to be any huge urgency in the in the real estate market. But I think as we approach the end of the year, you'll probably start to see more people uh, start jumping back in. Richard Whitstock, I think on, I think it was Twitter where I saw this today, but the, he was commenting on, it feels like 2019, except inventory levels are a lot lower, but demand is, is kind of comparable, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, is that, is it a, is it a real concern that we're going to have another kind of demand shock here and just not have the inventory to support it? Um, One could think that maybe not 2023, but 2024 could be another kind of runaway year in the market, potentially, if we don't get the inventory. Yeah. You know, it really depends on how quickly the market comes back again. So, you know, I know there's, there are a lot of, uh, there's a lot of product that's sort of been held back and, and, you know, I, I hate it when I, I read in the media that projects are being canceled because I, I haven't talked to one developer who's decided to cancel a project, you know, to cancel a project is to sell it to somebody else. You're not going to move forward with it. And, and, uh, the project's never going to come to market. And, and that hasn't happened at all. It's just, developers have made the decision to hold back from launching a project or they've slowed the process intentionally to you know so that they don't need to rush into it because you know once a once you pull a permit all of a sudden there's a whole bunch of financial commitments that that uh, developers have to municipalities to make payments on CACs and 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 other fees that they have to make and that's a whole other podcast, I think. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So one of my ahas from from moving back to the development side again. But uh, but in any case, so, uh, you know, I think, you know, until even the development community sees that the market is strengthening and there's justification for them to bring more projects to market and and that the market will support the prices that they need to get to to make the, the project make sense. And, and well... That's one of the questions I had because when, I guess, when does an uptick in mood or activity become a trend that developers in your mind, either Anthem or just working with, you know, developers across the lower mainland become 
uh, trend that you can act on. And and maybe the the context is, and this is all you know, separating the noise from longer trends. But we've been back in the office a month now, and I feel like the first week was like, wow, this is there's no change from December, and now it's really picked up, and it's but like it, there's yeah. a there's a confidence on the ground yeah. that's shifted. And it's perceptible. And I think, you know, realtors are talking about it like, okay, this feels different. Yeah. And I think it has to do with a little bit more certainty around the Bank of Canada's position now. But I'm just curious, like Anthem's a big ship to steer that ship. It's not like, oh, there's been two weeks of uh, positive chatter amongst a bunch of realtors. Let's let's make some decisions. Yeah. And, and I think with, you know, with some of the larger development companies, they'll be able to, you know, there are certain projects obviously where the numbers just don't make sense and it doesn't make sense to get into the market at a, at a given time. But there's, you know, I think in the case of, of South Yards, which they just launched in, in the Brentwood area, you know, there was an opportunity where that's a location where there's always been, you know, a lot of demand for over the last, you know, seven or eight years. Metro Town, another area where there's always, um, you know, quite a bit of demand for. So they'll be launching another tower there in in the next couple of months as well. So I, I think it's more, you know, where is the location good? Are the fundamentals good for that project? And does it make sense to launch it? And so, you know, I think for a company like Anthem, they'll make that decision to go ahead and because they're looking more at the long term as well. So they may not release the entire tower or or make the whole tower and and keep it on the market until it sells out. They may, you know, launch a portion of it now, get the sales they need and then and then shut down sales until until the project is closer to completion and presumably hopefully the prices are a little bit higher and it and it makes the the profitability of the project look a little better. So it sounds like South Yards, at least the perception, at least from a lot of people in, in the real estate community is it was really busy. And I, I don't think we we know exactly the, the numbers yet, right? Yeah. But a lot of activity uh, with that project. Can we talk a little bit about the demographic? Like what, you know, like, um, like what buyer demographics are you seeing that are most active in this market right now? And I know every project's going to be different. Yeah. But is there is there a standout group of buyers? Um, it, it, you know, obviously the investors are still a big part of the market. They're still looking to, you know, seek good opportunities. And I think if you're a smart investor today, you're probably looking at it as an opportunity where, you know, I can get into the market. The prices aren't, there isn't as much upward pressure on, on prices that there might've been a year ago. Selection is still tight because this is really the only project that, that launched at the time that it did. I think there's a competing tower that just started public sales last weekend. So there's now starting to be a little bit more activity and a little more movement. And user buyers, I'm, I was surprised at how many that the uh, sales staff was reporting that there were looking. And, and, you know, I shouldn't be surprised because that area, you know, if you haven't driven through Brentwood uh, in the last little while, you should, because it's it's really transformed. You know, with so many amenities there, you've got you know, SkyTrain, which is now connected to the amazing Brentwood Mall. And, you know, South Yards is just down the street from that. So you have, you know, Whole Foods across the street, all sorts of retail and entertainment amenities that are right at your doorstep. And then in terms of, you know, commuting, you can go in either direction on the Millennium Line. And uh, and soon enough, the uh, Millennium Line will be connected to the subway and the Broadway subway, and, and you'll be able to, to get a little further. So, so it makes a lot of sense for for an end user buyer as well as for an investor who's looking to take advantage of an opportunity where maybe prices are are not as uh, there's not as much upward pressure on prices that there might have been before. 
we're, we're joking. We have a, a, a guy in our office who um, is on the North shore and basically comes from the North shore to the Canby corridor where this, where we are. Yeah. And he did go to Brentwood for the first time in probably two years. Since he was a kid in Burnaby. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it blew him away. I was going to say every uh, three days, somebody walks in his office and goes, oh my God, have you been to Brentwood? (laughs) Have you been to amazing, (laughs) the amazing Brentwood? And and that's a North Shore thing though. I I moved to the North Shore about (laughs) 10 years ago and I was shocked at how many people who'd grown up there, you know, you know, just don't like to leave the North Shore. It's, uh, you know. (laughs) Wow, you guys went downtown for dinner? Yeah. You're so adventurous. That, that's like you know? me. I'm like, have you been to Lonsdale? Yeah. <laughs> what happened? Yes, you do have to go to the yeah. shipyards. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> maybe, uh, maybe, maybe moving. So so we we're kind of saying there's a there's a difference in in mood in the market. I love that idea of of uh, the notion that there doesn't seem to be any panic in the market, because I, I think that's what I've been feeling as well. When you talk to people, it, it's it almost feels weird that we've been kind of teetering on recession, or or you know, because you you don't sense that from most conversations that you're having, right, with sellers. There doesn't seem to be blood in the streets. No, no, and I, you and know, no, and, I, and no, I no thought that it's coming in the next couple months either. If anything, it feels now like there's like a light at the end of the tunnel, and right. and a bit more certainty than than there was maybe in Q4 of 2022. Yeah, yeah, and and let's not you know downplay the fact that some people have been affected sure. with losing their jobs and the higher interest rates is is certainly eating into into some people's uh, disposable income, right? People's payments have gone up. It's become a lot more difficult to get approved for for financing. So it's not like it's it hasn't affected anybody. I don't want to, you know, suggest that that's that's what's what's happening out there. But I think, it, you know, relative to some other recessions that that we've had in the past, even going back to two thousand eight, two thousand nine, if you were around then, it was, you know, collapsed. Like there were like mass layoffs, especially in our industry where the housing market just basically came to a complete halt. Sure. And you know, even on your side, on the realtor side, all of a sudden nobody was buying. It was complete paralysis. So there was. There was a lot of people who who felt that a lot more. So compared to to the Great Recession, as they called it, it you know, it doesn't feel nearly as bad this time around. You, you know, even in my circle of friends and and such who who have kids who are you know getting into the job market now, and you know they are finding jobs and and they are getting some good uh, employment opportunities. So mm-hmm. so I think it's you know, and, and even though we talk about a potential recession, I think it's important to remember that we're not in a recession sure. technically as of yet. So, and I'm confident that I think, you know, if, if we do get into recessionary territory, it'll be a a fairly minor one, you know, as long as our, our government leaders don't make some silly decisions. Have you noticed at Anthem, you know, consulting on projects prior and now being on the inside, has there been a, a pivot over the last couple of years whether it was COVID in terms of strategy or post-COVID uh, change, maybe in relation to the kind of trends that they foresee? Like, is is there any sort of strategic change in the last year to three that is is kind of noticeable? Um, I, I don't think so from a product perspective, other than, you know, a couple of things on the spec side, like, you know, air conditioning is becoming almost right. a must for any kind of project, whether it's a townhome project, a low-rise condo project, or a high-rise. You know, I think just the warm summers we've had the last few years has, has sort of 
made that a much more important feature for for new homes coming to market. You know, EV charging capabilities is is another one just with more, you know, gas prices now looking like they're not going to come come down under 150 in our lifetime again uh, yeah. a liter. You know, I think the appeal of of EVs just becomes greater and greater. And so the need for that uh, that infrastructure to charge your EV becomes much more important. You know, from a strategy perspective, um, you know, it's really dependent on the type of project. You know, the higher end of the market is still still feels a little bit shallow. There's not uh, a ton of depth. There doesn't seem to be a ton of depth for for project in that two thousand plus per square foot range. But you know, I think now that we're getting further and further from COVID and, you know, let's be real, it's still around, but I think everybody feels like we're sort of past the worst of it. And the more, the further we get away from the worst of it, I think the more confidence returns from people who are buying in that higher luxury sector before who are maybe not living here now, but, uh, but are maybe looking at, at making a move here in the future. It makes that sector of the market a little bit more viable. So I, I think as we, as we get on through the next several months and into the second half of the year, I think we'll start to see that part of the market come back as well. Mm. And I guess another way to think about it, and it's funny, like I was just talking to somebody not from Vancouver who's looking for a place and they're like, yeah, like I'll consider 70s as long as it has air conditioning. I'm like, no, <laughs> you're clearly new to this market. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm, I, I was thinking as much, and I maybe I didn't frame it very well, like in terms of the next wave of demand, like location wise. Right. So I'm just thinking COVID, obviously there was, we, we just talked about 2018, 2019, and then there's that kind of hockey stick, bang, like COVID supercharged market, but it supercharged it in a way that was, seems now predictable. Like, oh, everybody wants to move to Langley and get more space and work from home. Yeah. But it wasn't, it, it, you know, nobody would have foresaw that. Do you see this, the next kind of wave of demand is coming back to, to the center can you speak to that? Yeah. You know, I, I think just from an affordability perspective, I think, you know, the suburbs south of the Fraser are going to continue to be uh, appealing for a lot of people. So I think we're going to continue to see a lot of activity in those areas just from, you know, if you're looking for a townhome with a, a two-car garage, it, you know, there's not a lot of places north of the Fraser where you're going to get those at, you know, what we might call an affordable. It's sure. all relative in Metro Vancouver, of course, but so from that perspective, I think you're still going to have that strong demand for uh, for product in those markets. However, I think as we continue to grow, I think those you know transit-oriented locations will will be where the majority of the activity takes place and where we continue to see a lot of development happening. And and you know if you look at at um, you know where Anthem has product coming to market, it's it's in those areas. They're they're very strategic in in that sense. Is you know, and, and it's not that you can ever predict when a recession is going to happen, but, you know, if the market does slow down, where do you want to be? Mm. You want to be in a location that's convenient, accessible, has all the amenities that uh, that you need and, and want within a, you know, a close proximity to you. So, yeah. so I, I think, you know, you're, you're going to continue to see that demand in those areas. You know, if you go over to the North Shore, that's a bit of a different animal because you don't have rapid transit over there, but you're also you know, unless you're trying to get off the North shore in the afternoon, it's, yeah. it's, it's pretty like I live on the North shore, work downtown. I used to drive into the Camby corridor in the past when I was with Sonda urban and, and, you know, I'm a half hour from, from work. And I think that's a reasonable commute. 
And it's it's a pretty stress-free commute most most days, unless there's an accident on the bridge or something like that. Right. So so it's uh, you know I think places like the North Shore are more lifestyle oriented, and the right. and that's the appeal of those locations, just like you know a Ladner or a Tawasin or a South Surrey. Hey everyone, pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join typing in VRP 2020. And I, I feel like there's, it's funny, but I feel like there's been also a cultural shift. Like we, we often talk about it within the context of COVID, but also just because now people can see what's going on around the sky trains. There seems to be a cultural shift between like the, the old dichotomy of like the center and the secondary markets or the suburban markets, right? Because yeah. now it's like, I don't know. If I look at Brentwood, I'm like, I think I could live here. And yeah. I would be the guy that would only want to live in in downtown Vancouver. And central Coquitlam eventually, even currently, yeah. is it looks pretty good. And you can now start to imagine how even Langley City with a new SkyTrain station is eventually going to look really good. Much different yeah, than it much does different, today. Right? Yeah, much different, right? So yeah. it, it's, I feel like there is a, a cultural shift now that we're starting, it's it's not just a rendition of what this, these neighborhoods are going to look like because there's just so much development going around yeah. on the SkyTrain stations. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, if you look back, you know, even 10, 12 years ago, you know, everything kind of emanated from downtown Vancouver. Yeah. Mm. Whereas today, you know, not that it's irrelevant, but, you know, the projects that are being contemplated for downtown Vancouver right now are not really relevant at all to what's happening at Brentwood and Richmond Center and in Metrotown or Coquitlam for that matter. So, you know, 
It's almost like, you know, you, you separate downtown Vancouver from the rest of the market because it's, it's kind of its own entity now. It, it's fun. It's like, I remember somebody from, it was this, somebody from CMHC. Scott, was it? Uh, no, he was just saying like the single family market in Vancouver is detached from, you know, the right. rest of the market yeah. in some ways, right. which is proving maybe not to be entirely true, but, uh, but that was his <laughs> comment, but it seems like downtown now is kind of similar, right? Like it, it's its own ecosystem. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, the resale market is different. I was right. speaking more to the, yeah. to the, the new the home really market. High end, yeah. Yeah. Uh, luxury so the new product that, that's being contemplated yeah. down there. Yeah. But I think of course, the, you know, for resale, there's still a ton of opportunities for, you know, it's still relevant to, to other markets within, you know, if you work downtown, you want to walk to work you want to live downtown. So right. there's still a lot of appeal to, uh, to being down there. Last time you were on, Michael, uh, I think, I think we spent about 45 minutes, uh, on the challenges in the development community with supply chain yeah. issues and the cost of construction and skilled labor and everything else. Have we seen any kind of easing in that regard? Sadly, no. And, and, you know, one of the, you know, I mentioned an aha earlier from, from working on the development side of the, the industry again, and that's, uh, that's one of them, you know, you kind of hear about it as a consultant to the development industry, but once you get into it and you hear, you know, day to day, the stories and, and the challenges that, uh, that you have and, you know, the amount of not just financial capital that's required to bring a project to market because of all the demands from municipal levels, provincial levels and such. It, it's even just the human capital that's required to get a project from, you know, acquisition through the approvals process and then finally to market. It's, it, you know, it's massive just from the demand. And again, a lot of that comes from the demands that, you know, municipalities make in in terms of uh, needs for the community. You know, and, and I've been chatting with uh, with people who, contacts of mine within the industry who were, who are either other developers or work for other developers and they're all finding the same thing. And, 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 you know, going back to the working from home and the remote work thing, you know, it's, <laughs> it's challenging when the municipal staffs have largely not gone back to the office. So, you know, development is a very face, you know, uh, face fronting business and, and industry. And when you're trying to get decisions made on, you know, massive projects that, that are worth, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars and a lot of money for the municipalities themselves. You'd like to be able to have a face-to-face conversation and with talk someone. To somebody in their pajamas. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, well and and you know, I I had dinner with uh with a friend who's a developer last week and and he was saying, you know, it's bad enough that I can't even have a in-person meeting with a planner. I can't even get him to turn his camera on. Yeah. When when we're on a Zoom call, which to me is is disrespectful, I think. Like if you're if you're in a face, you know, you're in a, a conversation with somebody and you're having to make decisions, like, you know, at least turn your camera on. And, right. Yeah. <laughs> Which is like such a funny we, thing. We've all been the one camera yeah. on uh, in, in meetings. It's, it's not yeah. a good spot to be in. Yeah. It's like the new, so, uh, yeah, the the rude etiquette <laughs> yeah. behaviors yeah. on Zoom. But uh, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, it's just, it, I don't, it hasn't gotten any easier. That's for sure. And, and it's, it's, um, you know, and I don't know how, how you're going to change it. I mean, you know, there's so much, you know, you, you look at Twitter and you see the comments that people make, you know, the whole greedy developer thing is still out there. You, you know, the industry does well. It, it makes a good living for a lot of people uh, who work within it, but it's also, you know, it's not what people think in terms of, you know, it's super easy money. They just, you know, 
put a project to market and they make, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in profits. That's not how it works. It's, uh, it's super challenging. And, and now that I'm on, on the inside, you just see, you know, how tenuous some projects can be in terms of whether they're profitable or not. Mm -hmm, So, and, and you just wish that, that more people, you know, in the general public would recognize the impact that, you know, the, the fees and charges and, and such that different levels of government put on the process impact the affordability of homes. Mm -hmm. And, and it really, you know, now that I'm working on the development side, you really recognize, holy cow, like it's a lot. (laughs) We would love to hear a little bit about kind of where Anthem sees the opportunities. um, If there's regions or, or neighborhoods that they're excited about. I know Sky trains is uh, yeah, kind of affordability and affordability. transportation. Yeah. Those are kind of the two things. And then I'd, just to piggyback on that, we'd love to hear your take on kind of, you know, separate, maybe even from Anthem about areas that you're maybe excited about. Yeah. And um, has, and has working with Anthem changed your investment thesis uh, in the short term? Um, that last the last question? No, not really. I mean, I, uh, you know, had a pretty good handle of, of where, uh, activity was, was happening and, and what factors are, you know, appealing to, uh, or, you know, make up an, an area or a project more appealing than others in terms of, of Anthem. And, and it's, it's such a diverse company and that's what really attracted me to the opportunity there is they're involved in so many different parts of the real estate market. So, you know, obviously the biggest part of it is, is development of multifamily residential but they've also got a huge portfolio of income producing properties, shopping centers. Uh, so they're getting more into the office building. They're now uh, into industrial, um, mostly in Alberta, and are looking to make more investments on, on that front. Starting to grow their um, multifamily rental portfolio, looking for opportunities there. And, and really, you know, from what I've seen to date, they're very much an opportunistic company. So they'll look at just about anything. And if it makes sense, if it ticks the boxes that they're looking at, you know, they'll, they'll go for it if it makes sense, you know, on the pro forma or on the cash flow and, and such. So, um, so that's, what's really exciting. And, and it's, um, it, you know, there's never a dull moment from even just in the two months that, that I've been there and, and doesn't matter if you're in development on the acquisition side or the income producing property side, it's, uh, there's a lot to do and always a lot to look at. And in terms of what maybe areas you're excited about or opportunities you're you're kind of seeing in the market? Yeah, I think you know that um, you know anything in the in the south of Fraser markets. Again, going back to the transit oriented locations, that's a given. But you know, I, I think those those outer markets are are still going to see a, a tremendous amount of demand, just even from an affordability perspective. And as they grow, the amenities grow and mature. You know, you mentioned uh, the city of Langley and, you know, I think that's, we're going to see a huge explosion there uh, just from, you know, accessibility. Like all of a sudden you don't need to get in your car and drive up 200th to the highway to get, to get downtown or somewhere else. Um, You can hop on the SkyTrain and and you can be in Surrey city center, or if you have to go beyond that, you can go beyond that. So, um, so I, I, I think those areas will continue to see a tremendous amount of demand. I think I mentioned last time I was on, I, I thought, you know, Coquitlam Center was probably an area that uh, that uh, you should keep your eye on. And, and it was probably a good opportunity before more stuff started coming into the market there, even from the resale side of things. If you see an opportunity to to buy something there, I think it, uh, it it'll, you know, and I, I still believe that. I think there's a lot of uh, a lot of potential 
in that area. And there's a lot of products, you know, starting to come. I know Polygon just had a, a big master plan community get approved last week. And so I, I think it's just going to continue to um, uh, to grow and you'll see more and more activity there, much as you've seen in, in the Berquitlam, that, that corridor. And that corridor itself is, is, you know, mentioning earlier, if you haven't been to Brentwood, you should go take a drive up North Road if you haven't been through there for yeah. a while. And <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's another shocker. So Coquitlam Center seems I, like the Polygon. Uh, we heard about that, obviously, but also Marcon, I think, has like 11 towers planned. Yeah. Uh, which looks like incredible master plan kind of community as well. So yeah. it's just like there's so much going on. Um, and you're right. Like I, there, you see some opportunities in the resale market there that look pretty enticing yeah. given what's coming. Yeah. Right? Yeah. 100%. Um, yeah, that's that's fantastic, uh, fantastic picks. And in in thinking about maybe the province, do you have and I, and I want to get I'm at some point I want to segue to Alberta uh, and specifically yeah. to Calgary because <laughs> I feel like we can't have you on without talking about Calgary, <laughs> largely because I feel like it's on everybody's investor list right now. It's getting a ton of attention, but maybe yeah. first the province and then a little bit about. about Calgary. Yeah, I, provincially, I, I don't think a week goes by that I don't hear about somebody, whether it's a friend of somebody or an acquaintance of somebody who's moving to Vancouver Island. So, you know, I, I and, and as I said, you know, before I left Onda Urban, we had launched uh, our, our data product in Victoria and the surrounding area. And the response to that was phenomenal. And I think that's just a function of, you know, more people continuing to move there, developers looking to fill the meet the demand that that's grown in that area. And I don't think it's limited to just the Victoria area, I think, you know, all the way up the island, I think there's opportunities as well. You know, the Okanagan, Kelowna, obviously, is is uh, a, has a lot of appeal. But I think even outside of Kelowna now, you know, because it's the prices there have gone up considerably. So now I think people are maybe looking at some of the ancillary communities, Penticton, Vernon, uh, some of those areas uh, for for an opportunity as well. So so I think the whole interior of BC, the southern interior of BC, anyway. And, you know, Alberta's obviously always been a big fan of of those areas, uh, you know, used to be for recreational properties, but I think even now for downsizing, retirement, that right. kind of thing. So I'm trying to think of how to frame this. So Langley, Victoria, Nanaimo, Coquitlam, the Okanagan. Michael, if you were, what would make you feel, you know, when you wake up in the morning, you think I own something there. If you had to buy something today, which of those markets would you feel most comfortable and excited about going into? Um, from an investment perspective, yeah. strictly. Um, you know, I'd, I'd probably say Langley. You know, even though you're starting at a higher price point, I just think, you know, being in Metro Vancouver, there's, uh, you know, always going to be demand from people to live in this region. It's still the economic driver of the province. And so, and I, I don't see that changing in the foreseeable future. So, you know, I'd, I'd still say Metro Vancouver over, over some of those other areas for sure. And is it the case still that the rents out, and I know this is maybe going back to your Zonda Urban uh, days, but the rents out in Langley are, are pretty attractive. Yeah, I, I across, uh, across Metro Vancouver, I think we've seen them increase considerably. And even again, with my old uh, Zonda Urban hat on when we were doing advisory studies for for rental projects, you know, and, and, you know, for rental, it's a little bit different in the sense that you can't pre-rent a, a building prior to starting construction. So you're always looking ahead, you know, what are the rates going to be when the building is finished? So you're always building an inflation 
number into that. So, you know, the number today is one thing, but then when you look at, you know, three years from now, when the project is finished, the number is going to be, especially where inflation rates are today, you know, that number is going to be considerably higher. So, so I, I think there is a lot of growth potential for, you know, for rental product and not just in Langley, I think anywhere in, in Metro Vancouver. And again, going back to that transit oriented location, whether it's, you know, Coquitlam, uh, that South Coquitlam area, the Brentwood area, Metro town, any of those areas that, that you're anywhere close to, to transit amenities, all of that, there's going to be uh, a higher pressure on, on rents for sure. And, and again, goes back to the fact that we're not getting enough rental product into the market approved fast enough, you, you know, and, and now it's almost impossible to make the numbers work for developers. So, you know, so I think that's where governments really have to sit down and, and think, do we want, really want to incentivize more rentals to be built? And they keep saying they do, but they haven't really done anything to, uh, to incentivize that to happen. Very good. Um, and I think maybe because we've, we've almost taken up an hour of your time now, Michael, so yeah. <laughs> we're, we're conscious of that. But uh, maybe as a final question, just thinking about the market, we've talked a lot about what the market feels like. Did you like. get the Calgary? Uh, oh, did I, you get I, your uh, I, haven't, I haven't got my Calgary itch <laughs> <Yeah>. scratched. <laughs> I didn't know I had that itch. Uh, this is a... I uh, now I have a visual of Michael yeah, scratching. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, okay. Jeez. Michael grimaces. Uh, yeah, 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 exactly. We're, 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 now people can actually see him grimace. We're, we're, we've got video. Um so I, I just want to, yeah, let's, let's talk about Calgary. Uh, cause I, I, I know, I know you're in that market personally, but we've talked about it over the years. Cause, cause you used to do a lot of work out there. Um, presumably you're maybe still going to be doing some work out there. Yeah. So, uh, and, and we've talked about Anthem being in Alberta. So I, I guess just the demographics, the, the, uh, the employment numbers, the GDP, a lot of stuff is looking pretty good in, in Calgary these yeah, days. Yeah. It's, it's as good as it's. Uh, as it's been since, you know, 2013, before the uh, the oil slump that happened then. You know, population growth obviously is, has been huge as, as the recent numbers from StatsCan came out and, and sort of proved out. Um, and, and there's a different feel when you go there. There's, uh, you know, a renewed energy in the city. People are feeling way more positive. You know, lots of new job creation. You know, I think the, the campaign that they had uh, about having people move to Alberta it was really effective. And I think it sort of opened a lot of people's eyes to, and, and maybe their minds to, to maybe making that move over there. So, you know, I, I'm still super positive on, on the Calgary area. And I think even, you know, moving up towards Edmonton, it's a, it's a different city and a different market, but I think there will be a spread of, of growth and demand even into that market as well. Do they get Chinooks in Edmonton? I don't think so. They do not. So that's, that's that's a big, yeah, (laughs) that's a big challenge for it. So yeah, yeah, no, it's, and you know, and, and for an investor into residential property there, they don't have any rent control mechanisms there. So, you know, if the market demands and, and, you know, you can increase your rents there, there's no limit on how much you can increase your rents there on a year over year basis. There's a lot more rental product being developed there. So, you know, there is competition, so you have to be aware of that. But, um, but that's where it's also appealing is, is that, you know, there are a lot of people moving there. They need a place to live. They're developing and building product for those people. So it, it kind of keeps, even though there are no rent controls, it keeps rents from from increasing too much just because, again, it's a great model for BC to look at. Yeah, and say, say, you know, sounds somewhat he, healthy. Yeah, here's a market where you're, there's a ton of new rental supply that's gone into that market over the past five, six years and, and rents have 
remain pretty stable. They've increased, but obviously, but but not to the extent that they've increased here. And as as a final question, Michael, moving on to the forecast, 2020, <laughs> what do you think the headline will be for 2023? And then and then while we're at it, um, what do you think the market do you, one to three years? Do you think we're in a a better spot than yeah, we are I, today? I think 2023 will be just holding its own in terms of the market. I, I think you know, what we're kind of seeing today is, is what we'll see for the next several months, you know, a bit of a slow burn. And then I think the second half of the year into the fourth quarter of the year, we'll start to see a little bit more urgency coming back into the market. You know, if, as a lot of people are suggesting, you know, the banks, Bank of Canada starts to move the rates down a little bit and, and we start to get a little bit more positivity, I guess, about the economy happening. And, uh, and 2024, 2025, are we back in the 10 offers at any point in your mind, or I, is it more of a gets biz, busier, but incrementally busier and, and kind of a little bit healthier than it's been over the last couple of years? Yeah. I, I, you know, I think we, there's, there's a real potential for that to happen if, you know, we don't see more supply coming onto the market, um, you know, cause the, the limit on, on rental availability in the market and the more rents go up, the more it makes owning your own property seem more affordable and, and achievable. So, mm. so there is going to be pressure, I think, on, on that sector of the market. I think it'll be much, it'll be more gradual than we saw during COVID simply because you don't have that, you know, element of COVID where everybody was stuck at home without being able to, to, yeah. you know, just that acceleration of, of buying plans and, and such, you won't have that. So it'll be much more of a, a gradual increase. But I, I think we, there is the potential to have that sort of urgency come back into the market where uh, there's, you know, fear of missing out because there just isn't the amount of product in the market that, that there is demand for. We have this segment called the five wire, five lighthearted questions to end the show. I'm familiar. Can you, can you, can you stick, stick around for that? Michael grimaces. Absolutely. <laughs> the five wire is brought to you by Scalina real estate. Hey, that sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full-service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the lower mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. Question number one, what is one standout book you've read recently? Uh, I'm reading it right now. It's uh, Bono's memoir. I was, oh. uh, I'm was i an 80s kid, so I was a huge U2 fan from uh, Under a Blood Red Sky days. And, yeah. and I still recall watching uh, Sunday Bloody Sunday, the video on, on MTV back in the 80s when it, it first came out and being wowed by these guys. So, you know, I've been a huge fan. I've seen them live probably seven or eight times uh, in, in different places. And so, uh, really enjoying that. I'm, I'm reading the book first, but I chatted with somebody on the weekend who had listened to the audible version and they said, it's also really good because they work in some songs and, and such into the audible version. So I want to read the audible version. He does. Yeah. So I want to, I want to read the book first. Cause I think there's, you know, it's, it's a meaty book and, and you get something different from reading it, but then I do want to listen to it afterwards. Right. I did hear him interviewed, I think on Q about this book. Matt's yeah. really back into listening to the CBC lately. It's a weird. Uh, <laughs> as long as you don't start veering too yeah. far. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
to the left side of the, <laughs> no, the spectrum. It's, uh, it's, it's interesting <laughs> listening. I'll leave it at that. Yeah. Uh, one, well, it's good to get a broad spectrum yeah, of exactly. opinions and ideas. <laughs> exactly. Uh, New Year's resolution. You know, just continue to maintain my physical conditioning. You know, as you get older, it gets harder to, you know, and everybody says it and everybody warns you about it, that it gets harder to keep your metabolism up and stay in shape and and so I've been, uh, you know, started out the year and I obviously I go through stretches where you're better than others, but, uh, but really want to try to sustain that more so throughout the year, just better eating, exercising, all of that. I feel like COVID was almost uh, accidentally good for people in the sense that a lot of people really let themselves go during COVID. And now I feel like everyone I'm seeing looks really great. Looks yeah. really like, like everyone's taking their health very seriously now. Yeah. Um, yeah, maybe maybe as a result. Yeah, maybe COVID, maybe age uh, yeah. too. Well, I feel like the most depressing thing, I think you were the one who told me this, was that, you know, imagine we did what we're doing now in terms of exercise when we were in our 20s. We'd be like, they call it noob gains. Uh, these <laughs> these 20-year-old guys. Well, we were talking yeah, about it. There's uh, I, I, somebody's when, kid. They said he went to the gym for like oh, three yeah, weeks. Oh, three weeks and he was like <laughs> shredded because the levels of testosterone. Who yeah, said that? Yeah, I can't remember. Anyway, that. it was the most depressing. I've been thinking about that a Not lot. Not my levels. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I don't think I have a lot of midlife crisis things, but that one kind of hit hard. Yeah. I was like, oh my God. Uh, anyway, uh, what have you been binge watching lately or a favorite movie? Binge watching, we've uh, watched a <laughs> I I watched it's it's a bit of a I, I don't want to say it's a bit of a it's a chick series but watched it with my wife on apple tv called bad sisters uh it's an irish uh series and uh and the characters were hilarious uh, it's a bit of a dark humor kind of series irish dark humor so i really enjoyed bad that sisters? i feel like maybe yeah. my wife was has been really? watching that yeah. my kid was watching dairy girls till i put a stop to it oh. yeah no that's a good one too yeah, yeah. It, she's yeah. not old enough yeah. though for and then um slow horses is another one on apple tv that uh, that was really good oh. uh, gary oldman is the uh lead character in it so kind of a a different kind of a spy mi6 kind of uh, series. So, so it's pretty good. I'm, I'm big into the, the, the UK, uh, Danish kind of right things. So yeah, just a different perspective. So yeah. 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 Oh, those, are, those are great. Okay. Uh, what do we got next? We got favorite band or music. Can't say you too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, this is a tough one. Cause I, I, you know, you go through stretches where you listen to different things. And I think about what I like listening to when I work out and it's, it's always different, but I don't know that I have one band that I listen to more than, than others, but you know, I, I love kind of the indie, if I'm, you know, turning on my Spotify to, to work out or something, sort of an, uh, higher energy indie type music yeah. is, is something I tend to go to still like my rock and roll, you know, you yeah. know the Foo Fighters is you're, you are all over the map. Cause yeah. last time I think you said Kendrick, which yeah, was a big, uh, it was a bit of a surprise. I yeah. wasn't, I so wasn't, there's still times I'll, I'll, I'll go downstairs to work out. And if it's, uh, if it's a heavier weight day, I might, you know, put on some, some rap and some Kendrick and, yeah. and, you know, feel a little angry and pumped up. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Last but not least, uh, something you've purchased recently for under $1,500 that's uh, had a positive impact on your life. Um, it, I, I, I didn't purchase it, but somebody purchased it for me is uh, a pickleball net. Oh yeah. So, so, so you, in your yard? Uh, well, no, cause you, 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 there's courts. different courts that 
that they have the lines painted, oh, but so they don't to... have the nets. So you bring the net out and it just opens up way more courts that you can go and play on. So I uh, started playing, you know, probably in the last year or so and, and uh, you know, when the weather's conducive to it. It's a ton of fun, very social. And uh, for anybody that knows me, I'm not the most, um, you know, height gifted so it's a smaller <laughs> court. That, in the height department. <laughs> the uh, the uh, more vertically challenged, as some might say. Um, so for my short little legs, I can cover the court a lot easier than a tennis court. So so I, I like that part about it as well. So. so so Michael, how can people find out more about what you're up to, and then of course uh, Anthem Properties. Go to uh, anthem.com, anthemproperties.com for for anything related to Anthem. And there's a lot on there that they have coming up. So, um, so if you're interested in, in, you know, purchasing a new home, whether for somewhere to live in or, or an investment, absolutely go and check that out. I am at mferrera at anthemproperties.com. So you can email me anytime. You know, if you're looking to, to make an investment as an equity or a financial partner into, into a development and, and maybe looking at a different way to invest in real estate in, in Metro Vancouver, reach out. I'm also on LinkedIn, so you can find me there. Happy to answer any of your questions. And, and maybe if there's an opportunity for you to get involved on an Anthem project on, on the financial part of it, uh, would be happy to chat with you about that as well. I should warn you, Matt and I tried, but we didn't hit the minimum. No. <laughs> no, call, we didn't hit the minimum threshold. Didn't get no, a call back. No yeah. call back. <laughs> well, if it makes you feel any better, the majority of the financial partners are a little bit older. You know, they've they've saved up. They've they've uh, so that that tends to be the profile. Is, Another is, aha moment. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I'm not quite there yet either. So, <laughs> well, well, thanks so much for taking the time today, Michael. Always a pleasure having you on the program. Yeah, same. Always a pleasure to come in and chat with you guys. I always have a lot of fun. We'll so. have to have, have you back. Hopefully, uh, anytime. Even in this new position. Yes, anytime. So there you have it, folks, our discussion with Anthem's VP of Finance and Corporate Affairs, Michael Ferreira. Really enjoyed that conversation with Michael, Matt. Always a pleasure having him on the program. I feel like every time I have a conversation with him, generally, I'm, I have a better insight into the market. I always think about it, a new deal or opportunity. Yeah. He was the one who actually turned me on to Central Coquitlam a few years back. Right. He just uh, turned me on to Langley City. <laughs> no, I was being serious. That was I a know, gen I genuine know. comment. What's your your issue with Langley City is you find it's it's a little frothy. You think it's a, I, a no, little you know expensive. what? I, I I haven't watched Langley City that closely and I, I immediately like got off the the meeting with Michael and went downstairs and started looking at for deals. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just it turns out there's nothing under a well, hundred thousand. Yeah, no, but I mean, realistically, it turns out it's like whatever the pricing. I was like, huh, I wonder how much. Like, it actually makes Vancouver look cheap. Still, is was the I, only this thing is that my I only contention is resale properties in downtown Vancouver seem like when you look this at like it. like you know a two thousand four two thousand six building or a building that's still relatively new. And I recognize that those buildings are 20 years old and it's probably just yeah. the fact that it feels recent for me, given my age, but right. the, everything's new in Vancouver for you. <laughs> you're you're <laughs> 200 years old though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I'm older than the city. <laughs> Here's the thing though. If, if you're looking at downtown Vancouver and you're looking at like condos that are in like prime spots, like think like, you know, Richards, Homer, like great locations, yeah. great value for one beds, you know, 560 square feet. 
I mean, I don't know. Surrey, it's tricky sometimes to look at uh, at like Surrey They're, or Langley. Okay, so, and, so, and also, not to mention, like concrete on Richards versus wood frame in Langley. Sure. And you look at the pricing and yeah, sure, it's newer, but it's still tough to make sense of for me. With that said, and I'm blanking on what the presale was in Surrey, I just saw an email, 167 homes sold in the first seven days. Like Surrey presale is like the, the market that won't quit. Yeah. It's just crazy. Well, okay. And here's another story. And I, I should have talked about this at the beginning of the show, but um, Melissa on our team, on our Instagram, we had a team meeting and, and basically the, the Cole's notes are assignment deals are happening. Right. Because you can imagine, and let's just go over this quickly for people that maybe haven't thought about this, but essentially somebody buys a presale condo you know, 2020, 2021, whatever it was. And Mark's doing 6% a month. Yeah. And, and they, they buy it. And now they're, now they're kind of freaking out because they've got, they, maybe they've got multiple units. Maybe they were planning on assigning it the entire time. Right. But the challenge now is the market. Well, they, they, they thought they were getting financing at, at 1.8%. Well, this and is now it. they realize with the stress test, they can't even get financing. Well, this is it. So now they're getting bad news from their mortgage broker that they can't complete on it. They're now realizing that the market is pretty soft. It's hard to market assignments. Sometimes if you, look you can't at, put them on MLS. You can't sometimes put them. You can't even say who the developer is. Yeah. Sometimes you can't even put them anywhere. Like it, it depends what it's, what it's it stipulates sale. In, in your contract. So it's tricky. It's not easy to unload an assignment. So you have to be sharp priced to begin with. And then on top of it, like now, and this just happened and I won't, these, these projects will remain nameless for this show, but there's a couple developers that have basically said, Hey, no more assignments coming in the next month or so. So I've just seen some crazy deals on assignments right now in good, good location. Like, like, you know, a stone's throw to a SkyTrain station. Adam, how um, can people find out about these deals? <laughs> well, well, you can, you can actually, you can get in touch. Matt, how can people get in touch with you? Well, first off, you can, deals like this, they don't show up on our Instagram, but it is worth saying Vancouver Real Estate Podcast on Instagram is a good way to get in touch. Right. But more importantly, and tried and true is VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is our website where all things real estate related live. It is brand new. We have yes. a brand new site. The feedback so far has been incredibly positive. It's a site you want to, like I said before, get to know, you know, dig in. There's a ton of useful information on this site. There's also, of course, the live wire where you'll see deal of the month. You'll see deals. You'll see episodes, the back catalog, stats before anyone else, different types of stats. Right. That's a live wire on the VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com website. The commercial podcast lives there. And of course, private client services. Because Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free. It's available at your fingertips at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com slash PCS. Sign up today. It's easy to find, actually. I think you just go click on the menu on the new site, right? Go work with us. It's going to take you there. Take you to PCS. And you know what? We've, we've talked a lot about private client services being useful for estate sales. Sure. Court-ordered sales. Finding your dream home. Monitoring your neighborhood that you live in right now. Yep. It's also assuming that the assignments are on MLS, which a lot of them are you can monitor just for assignments as well. Yep. And that's, I'll show you how to do this later. It's a, it's a building age function. 
reach out. There are deals in every market and there definitely are deals in this market. You can get a hold of me at any point, 778-847-2854 or Matt at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Or you can try me at 778-866-4574 or Adam at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. We also got that Kokomo line info at VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. Well, have a great week, guys. And we're back with another amazing episode next week. Thanks for joining us. If you took something away from this podcast, Definitely share it with a friend. Absolutely. Take care. Talk to you next week. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.